Truly, Christ came, and it was for a great reason, wasn't it? It was a, there was a time where all of us, the Bible teaches us, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory, and because of what Christ did, you and I were able to stand in, in peace today. I didn't have peace before Jesus, did you? We had a, a peace we thought was peace, but it really wasn't peace. It was just a, just a momentary feeling that often passed, but with Christ, we have this assurance because of what he did at the cross of Calvary. And we're continuing our study here, looking into exactly who Christ is, getting this clear definition as to who Jesus is. And we, we need that now in our present day and age. We've always needed it. This is not like something new. We've always needed to know who Christ is. And maybe for you today, it's just a reminder. Maybe it's a, it's a call to action. Maybe today you've never really accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never felt that call in your heart to repent and believe. Today we know that if we, if we follow Jesus, then, then we're going to have eternal life. The church ought to say amen to that. You ever thought about that? You're not going to hell. <laughs> you have hope in this life. You have strength in this life. You have peace in this life. And it's not because of anything that you've done, but it's because of who Jesus is. And we're, we're looking at this, this life of, of Christ as he walked this planet, God in flesh. And he, he wasn't just walking around to, to start a political movement. He wasn't, he wasn't here to start some type of social movement. He was here to save the very depraved souls of man. He came so that you and I may have life. And that we might have life more abundantly. John chapter 4, we... We see the story of Jesus and the woman of Samaria. And I think it's interesting, if you're, if you're following along here in the, in the book of John, Jesus begins his ministry, and the first, one of the first places that he goes, of course, the first place was a, a wedding, we see. So Jesus apparently liked to be around people. He, he, he wanted to see people's faces. He wanted to, to be involved with people. But, but after that, where does Jesus go? Well, he goes, you know, to, to Nicodemus, who we spoke about last week. So he goes to a, you know, a religious person. But then immediately from there, he goes to a place called Samaria, a place he shouldn't have went as a Jewish man. And the, the person we see that he speaks to today is a woman. And so there's like a, a culturally, there was a double negative for him to talk to this woman. I guess if you were to put a title on this message, or a subtitle, if you will, a woman, a well, and a witness. Because we see a, a woman at a well, and Jesus comes and he witnesses to this woman. Now I hear this as a pastor, and it, it encourages me to, to be a person who witnesses wherever I go. Even at basketball games, when I'm not too happy with what the ref says, right? But Jesus, here he is, he's, a, he's in a in a different place, a different cultural place, at a well. And here comes a woman. Look at verse 1 here as we read God's word today. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. 
So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman asked and said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did his sons, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Would you bow your heads this morning? (laughs) Thank you for your words. I praise you, God, that you would see fit to give us this account of 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 you going and just being one-on-one with someone and, and spreading truth. Father, as a, as a Christian today, I'm, 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 com- I'm committed to you, Father, but, but I'm also convicted this morning because I don't often share like I should. I, I miss the small opportunities. Lord, I look at this passage and I'm, I'm compelled to be, to be even more evangelistic than I am now, God. For we know the time is at hand. We know the that, Lord, that those who don't know you, their future is not bright at all. God, would you raise up this church to be a light to the world? Lord, a, a light that goes out here and shows truth so that people can drink of the water that you offer and a water that brings eternal life, that we may never thirst again in your name. Amen. You know, we're looking at this, Jesus, uh, as his, his reply to this woman, as we're reading through this little passage here, he kind of just ignores the whole thing the woman says here. What does, she, what does she say? Well, I'm a woman, right? And I'm a Samaritan. Those are two things that you kind of see Jesus just kind of hops over here. And it's interesting to me that he does that because I believe that you and I as Christians, we've got to be a people who just see people for who they are. They're people. They need a savior. And Jesus, he, he jumps over that, that, that estrangement that was between the Samaritans and the Jews. And you know, he focuses rather on a relationship with this lady. He, he focuses upon them as two individuals just talking at a well about truth. Jesus calls this woman into a discussion of truth. 
And I know a lot of us here today, we may be saying, well, I don't really know how to like, evangelize. We just need to meet people where they're at and have a discussion of truth. Look for those opportunities to talk about well, what is the way, the truth, and the life? You guys know that answer, right? The way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. And all Christ is doing here, he's just, he's just drawing this woman away from the, the, the preconceived notions of culture and societal norms. He pulls them away from that, and, and he's just pulling her into a conversation to talk about what is truth. Well, there's a lot of truth, I suppose, we would say out there today. I was reading this past week. Um, I don't even know how this popped up. It's just some old article from Campus Life. I don't know if you guys remember that magazine. I think it's still around. But I remember reading it as a, as a kid, and I'd read this before. But, but I, I pulled this, this quote. I want you guys just to listen to it today. From 1979. Anybody, anybody here alive in 1979? Okay. I was. I was a, I was a whopping three years old. I was, I was basically Jaren right now, just running around in circles and, and causing havoc, right? But in February 1979, Campus Life said this about knowledge, truth, right? Knowledge is exploding at such a rate, more than 2,000 pages a minute. Everybody hear that, right? Every minute in 1979, there was 2,000 pages being produced of knowledge. It says that even Albert Einstein himself couldn't even keep up. In fact, if you read 24 hours a day from the age of 21 to 70 and retained all that you read... It's a lot of reading. You would be one and a half million years behind when you finished. That was in 1979, right? Now we have the, the internet. You guys ever getting rabbit holes on the internet? You're going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. There's so much stuff out there, right? So much knowledge, so much information. I was just thinking about that, 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 in 1979, there was that much stuff going on. And here in the year 2022, how much more information do we have available to us? So much more truths and knowledge, right? John MacArthur, he says that in, in 1845, if you can measure the total sum of man's knowledge and represent it geographically, okay? In 1845, mankind had one inch of knowledge, Okay? In 1845 to 1945, we grew a whopping two inches, and so we were up to three inches of knowledge. In 1945 to 1976, the height of the Washington Monument. And the way it is now, we're all the way to the moon, if you were to, to, to equate it to a distance of how much knowledge that the world has acquired. I, I, I'm a nerd. I love you know, following the whole NASA stuff, and they've been sending all this stuff to Mars in these, you know, this, uh, this past week they celebrated one year that there had been this this one rover and like a helicopter on Mars that's flying around taking pictures of Mars. I thought that was pretty cool. There's a lot of people thought that was cool. Some people think it's all fake and they're just out in you know the Mojave Desert just you know pulling our legs. Maybe they are, I don't know. But I like the thought that we're on another planet with helicopters and rovers and, and looking at the dirt and trying to figure out what's going on, right? Exploring our our universe that God created. Look at all that, and I think, you know, is knowledge really the goal here? When I was in college, you know, I, I reached a point, I'll be honest with you, the last two years of my college, I was just wanting to graduate. I didn't care if I learned anything at all. I just wanted that piece of paper so I could do something else for a while. You know, it's, it's crazy how much, how much effort we put into information. And by the way, I'm not discrediting education. 
But you know what? The goal of man is not to know more, but the goal of man is to know God. Jesus could have come and talked about anything with this woman. He could have talked about the latest, you know, in technology regarding how to get water out of a well, but he didn't talk about that. You know, Jesus knew the, hey, how to do indoor plumbing, even at that, because he knew all things, right? But he didn't, he didn't talk about that with that lady. He didn't, he didn't try to explain to her how to build a, a motor and put gas in it and have a pump, then you don't have to do anything, you just turn it on. He didn't talk about that. What did he talk about? He talked about truth. What's, what's wrong in our churches today? I, I feel that we're not talking about truth. We're just talking about whatever tickles the, the person's ear. The preachers are so concerned about how do I get people to continue to come back week after week after week and I need to talk about something that doesn't offend them but does get them pumped up so that they can come back next week. And that's wrong. That's not the the goal of the church at all. The conversation that you and I need to be having as the church of God is to point people to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. You know, as a pastor, I, I could get up here and I could talk about, well, how can you be a better father, mother? How can you spend your money better? What, what, what's the next you know, big investment that you need to get involved with? Those are, those are great things. But honestly, as a believer in Jesus Christ, what's going to get you through to the end is knowing Jesus. We're not called to know more about this world. And by the way, I love learning stuff. I love learning stuff. We've recently kind of gotten some validation as to our heritage. And so I've been reading up on my ancestors recently. This past week, I read a whole book about the history. And that knowledge is good, but you know what? It doesn't really matter what my blood type says or what my history says or what my pedigree is. What matters is that I know Jesus. And Christ opens up in these next eight verses. He opens up this conversation in order that this woman might leave that well, not thirsty, but forever quenched. That's what this conversation is about. As Christ's church, you and I need to be a people who have that desire that every time that we talk with someone, that we're helping them to know Christ. Because we know that in that, they're going to have joy. They're going to have peace. They're going to have eternal life. Look at verse 19. I love this. Jesus doesn't just leave her with that, you know. Jesus could have just stopped and said, you know, hey, yeah, you don't have, you know, a husband or five husbands. He could have just left it at, well, the guy you're with now, you're just sleeping with him. That's it. He didn't stop there. He wants to see redemption. And the one thing we know about Jesus is Jesus is in the work of redemption. Amen? When he comes to us, he's in the work of redemption. He doesn't just... Go out there and just say, well, good luck. But the work of Christ on the cross was a total work of redemption to all mankind. Look at verse 19. The woman, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that that's the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Everybody hear that? For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, 
He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. If we were to kind of take this conversation and break it up a little bit, just to kind of see, okay, what's the, what's the point here? Like, why, why would Jesus have this conversation with this woman? I mean, it's more than just being tired from his journey and thirsty and not having the, the, the equipment to draw water out of a well. It's, that's not the, the thing here. I believe everything Jesus did was orchestrated, don't you? That, that everything that he did, it was orchestrated in order that people might know him. And so we see that that Jesus really kind of lays out some truths as to what change is about. Now, how are we saved? Do you guys know? It's by grace, right? Is it by works? Is it by being good? Is it by being moral? Is it by being Baptist? Is it by being Oklahoman? Well, maybe a little bit Oklahoman, but is it, you know, what what is it? How are we saved? It's not by anything we do, Right? If we were to look at this first point, it says change from above comes with what? I don't know why that's at the top. Let's go to our other one. (laughs) Change from above says farewell to the old. Everybody say farewell. Bon voyage. Adios. Sayonara. I don't know any other languages. (laughs) It says goodbye to the old, right? Jesus talks to her here and, you know, he says that, you know, she, she's got this idea that, well, you know, we say that we're going to, you know, we're going to be on this mountain and this is where we are to worship God. And where is that correct place to worship? Is it Mount Gerizim or is it, is it Jerusalem? Where, where's the right place to worship? I think a lot of times we think, well, where's the right church to worship at, right? I see a lot of people are so consumed with which church they need to be in, right? The thing is, is we need to be worshiping God. That's the important thing. Honestly, the, the churches that we, that we go to, yeah, it's important. Doctrine is important and what the focus is is important. I'm not taking away from that, but if coming to church is your only like <clears throat> conviction, we need to take it a little, a little bit deeper. I, th- I think we have this old set mentality that, that if we're doing good, then we're going to go to heaven. But that's not how it works. Because Jesus was good, because none of us are, because Jesus went to the cross and because we can believe and live today, that's how we're saved. And so we have to say goodbye to the old stuff. The old stuff that's behind us, all that, that wrong thinking that, that we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that we're just going to go about it on our own. We have, to, we have to say goodbye to the old and we need to, to walk in newness of life. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we read where it says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I love that verse, don't you? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. The old has passed away and the new has come. We're not saved by our works, but guys, we're, we, work, we work because we're saved. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you're not doing good works. You don't show up as the worship team early today so that you can be saved. You know, Jesse don't go home today saying, man, I'm glad I came to led worship today because I'm going to be saved all week. But I better come and do it again next week or I'll go to hell. But honestly, when you break it down, it's what a lot of people believe. I, I have some people that, you know, they, they, friends, they just believe that. Well, if you go out here and you stub your toe and you fall off a cliff and you, on the way down you say a, a curse word and you hit the ground and you die, then you're going to hell because your works killed you. Well, if that was true, none of us would even stand a chance. Adrian Rogers once said that he wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes of his life to get him into heaven. I agree to that. 
There's, there's no amount of good works that I can do in order to save me. And so the one thing I do know, and even looking at this passage of scripture, is that the change that comes from above, the change that's from God, it bids us to say farewell to all the old stuff and to go into the new, to follow Jesus. And Jesus really here, he's, he's showing this woman truth. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what you guys believed. And even us, even though we're kind of in the right, that's going to change too, because what's going to happen is that we're going to have salvation that's made possible by my death upon the cross. He really doesn't mince it up for her much here. He's really just laying it out there, right? So we're not saved by our works, but we work because we are saved. Now, a lot of times people say, well, I'm not saved by my works, so I don't have to go to church. I don't have to get involved in you know, vacation Bible school. I don't have to get involved in Sunday school. I don't have to get involved in CAs or youth or mission trips. I don't have to do any of that because that's not what saves me. No, here's the thing. If you are truly saved, you are prompted to go out and do good works. I believe that. We're not called to be lazy Christians. The one thing that COVID has done for us, I believe it's made us a, a super lazy society. I have friends that, you know, they, every Sunday morning, they post on there that they're going to, you know, I'm attending Life Church today online. Woohoo! You know? I watched Scooby-Doo for like four hours the other day. Come on now, you're a lightweight. I really did. <laughs> you think I'm joking, right? We become so lazy because, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, online church. There's, there's nothing wrong with that stuff if we, if we need that at that moment. But online church is not the answer. Christ has called us to be a part of his body. We need each other. So we have to say goodbye to the old. And it really, in the last two years, we've become so lazy, and that's kind of become old now. We're like, well, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were like, well, you guys have online church? You know, you have it? It's like, well, I'm not Walmart, you know? Do I have online church? What is that? Why don't you come and, and, and explore it and see what God is doing here? Because he's doing some awesome things. We have to say goodbye to the old. We have to look into the new. And today I believe Christ is calling us to walk in newness of life. And it's not just for the sinner out there that's lost in sin, the, the person who's walking far from God. But listen to this. It's for the church who needs to get up and to walk in newness of life. We need that. That's truly what revival is all about. A.W. Tozer said some hard words one time. He says, Christians don't just tell lies. They don't do that. But they go to church and they sing them. <laughs> we can be really good. We tell truth all the time out there. We come to church and we sing lies. Because, you know, we, we sing, you know, there's nothing but the blood. But we don't live by that. Standing on the promises while we're sitting on our premises. I love that. Somebody said that a while back. We can't do that. We sing lies in church. We, we say that we're believers in Jesus Christ. We say that, you know, that, that we believe in missions or whatever. But as individuals, a lot of times we are just lazy. And so Christ is calling us away from the old. We got to get away from the old. We got to get into the new. Don't be that Christian who just comes to church and sings lies. Be a believer who walks out of here and you proclaim truth. Amen. The second thing I would look at, is it's kind of, Got flip-flopped up there. Change from above is in spirit and in truth. And we kind of talked about this a little bit, but it's interesting that in that passage where Jesus says, you know, there's coming a time that people are going to worship in spirit. And he says that God is spirit. He doesn't say there's no article there, right? God is the spirit. You know, it's not like a, a generic. He says he is spirit. So we're called today to be a, a people who understand that, that true worship what you guys are doing right now, that this is not just, well, we better listen to Daniel because he's looking right at us. 
You guys ever get uncomfortable in church because you're like, Daniel's looking at me. I better look like I'm listening. I better, you know, I better nod my head every now and then. Maybe, maybe laugh at his jokes because they're so hilarious or whatever. You know, you, you, you kind of have these, like, these feelings that you've got to do this sometimes. But the truth of the matter, the truth of the matter here, that what we see here is that we need to be a people who worship in, in spirit, which means that right now the Holy Spirit isn't just talking to your pastor, but he's talking to you. That as you guys are reading through words and you're taking notes, as you're, as you're trying to retain information so you can leave here and be who, who Christ wants you to be this week, that in, in the same token that we're worshiping in spirit, that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to us this morning. I love that we don't just come to church and it's just like, you know, we're, well, we're going to read this verse and then everybody sit down and we're going to move on and then we're going to stand up and read another verse. And if we do this and everything's going to be good and dandy and all that. No. Christ is speaking to this woman. He says there's coming a time, and we need to understand that it's even happening now, is that for those who want to worship God, they have to worship him in spirit, then also in truth. And I love that, that picture that Christ gives here, because it's not just, well, you got to worship in spirit. My charismatic brothers and sisters love that, right? Well, you got to worship in spirit. If you're not jumping up and down, you're not really worshiping. It's not even what it says here. It's that we're worshiping in spirit. And the reason we worship in spirit is because there has been a spiritual transformation in our own lives. Christ changes us. We are new creatures in Christ. We're not the same as, as we used to be. The absence of the the in spirit, the absence of that article, it emphasizes that, that there's, it's more than just a generic. It's saying that the spirit of God is what we need to be seeking after. And it's the Spirit of God that teaches us. And it's the Spirit of God that empowers us. And it's the Spirit of God that, that takes us where we need to go. And, and you know, we, we just need to understand that, that it's not about just being a, a church that we have all our policies and procedures in place, but we are a church that gets on our knees and we say, God, would you speak to us? Lord, what is it that you want us to do in this community, in this world? And the Holy Spirit of God speaks to our hearts. And I see it every week, people coming. And then they're, they've got ideas on their heart. We got a lot of stuff going on. Wednesday nights are fun to see around here. You got kids stuff going on. You got youth stuff. You got adult stuff, right? I got a whole pizza the other night for nothing. That was awesome. I ate on that for two days. But the thing, uh, the thing that we know is that, you know, all this stuff, you can say, well, you know, this person did it or this person did it. It doesn't matter who's, who's starting or ramrodding it. That's the Holy Spirit working through people. And honestly, if I could encourage you as a good church member, when we, when we have church membership, and I know some of us in here are members and some of us may not be members, but, but I believe membership is important because it shows our dedication to the work here. It's not so Daniel can brag. It's not so I can get on you know, Facebook and say, well, we had new members today, <laughs> which I do, by the way, when it happens. The, the reason we encourage membership is because as believers in Jesus Christ, I believe God wants us to be committed to his work and, and, it, and in that commitment, it's not that we bring ourselves glory, but we bring who glory? It's God. So we have to part with the old. We have to be a people who worship in spirit and in truth. I don't want anybody to get mad this morning, but I'm going to quote a Methodist, okay? Is that all right with everyone? I know we're not supposed to do that because we're Baptists. I'm not quoting Spurgeon or Criswell or someone like that, okay? John Wesley said this. I liked it. I, he says this. He says, I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation and assurance was given me 
that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Even Methodists get it. That it's, it's the work of Christ that saves us. It's not our own works. It's not what you and I do. It's not because we're born into a religion. It's not because our parents were saved. I mean, honestly, if I could be saved by the work of my parents, I'd be saved. I've got it, you know, spirituality, Christianity, it runs really deep in my family. I even had a circuit riding preacher, you know, back in the late 1800s. How cool is that? Well, it's not that cool because he ended up leaving his wife and to go do the work of the Lord. But that, I don't, we won't talk about that right now, right? We, we, if we were saved by our ancestry, that, that'd be great, but we're not. So we, we have to part with the old. We have to understand that those who want to worship God, that that change from above is in spirit and in truth. It's something God does. It's not something you and I do. You and I never reach a point where we have like a, a moral or a spiritual aha moment, and now we're like, I'm saved. I'm going to do good now. That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. Even Wesley, he understood that. But it's this idea that it was Christ that saved us from the law of sin and death. It's interesting that when we look at salvation, even in and of itself, we see the work of the Trinity. And I was thinking about that this week, that, you know, that even in, the, in salvation, that the Trinity is there. You guys know the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see the essence of the Trinity in salvation. Because you see, we are called to bring Honor to the Father. Everybody say amen. amen. And we do that in spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? And in truth. Who's the truth? It's Jesus. That even in our, even in salvation, the whole, we see God. It's not just something else. We were talking earlier, and I'm, I'm kind of looking into it more, but like even for the, for the Hebrews, that this, this word Yahweh, it was more of a you know, we, we call it Yahweh. It was pronounced different and all that kind of stuff. But, but Yahweh was this, this picture of someone breathing in and breathing out. I love that. That for, for the Hebrew, for the Jew, that it was like his name was their breath. And we need to get back to that, to understand that God is our breath, that God is our power, that we're not, we're not stuck in the old, and then we're not trying to worship as a good Baptist we're not trying to worship as someone who, you know, we do good works and we don't sin and, you know, we don't drink, we don't cuss and we don't smoke and all that kind of stuff. We got to get back to the point that we're, we're worshiping God because he's our breath. He's who we are. Getting back into the idea that if we're going to worship God, we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Salvation is not just a statement of faith. But it's a spiritual change from above that's based in truth. I, I don't have to worry about what people think of me as a Christian. If I pray in public, if I preach in public, I don't worry about that kind of stuff because what Christ has done in me is truth. And just because it may not jive with the rest of the world, just because it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really go along with the world's agenda, that doesn't mean I need to be ashamed of it. Because the truth is, is that Christ has called us to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's a change from above. That God has called us to, to leave the old and walk in new. That is a change from above. Salvation is not just something that you do because it's culturally acceptable. But salvation is something that God does and that he works in our lives and it comes down from above. Salvation is... Something that I believe God's calling us to. Now, you know, I could ask the question now. How many of us in here are saved? Don't raise your hand. Well, you can raise your hand. I don't care. How many of us in here are saved? 
right? I think there's a whole lot of people in here. We got a bunch of good Baptists. We like that word saved, right? I used to love to go to Falls Creek years and years ago, and there was a guy by the name of Bill Green, and he sang this song called Save, Save, Save. Do-do-do-do-do. He had the big, you know, they had the big timpanies up there, and they were getting at it. And I, you know, man, I, I like the new worship that they do there now, but I miss those days too, you know? It was just awesome to see, you know, Bill Green up there, and he's just, ah, you know, he's all into it, and, they, and he would stop it, and he'd make us all hold the word save, you know? And I, I remember those, that, in that old tabernacle there, those, those words ringing out. It gives me chills right now thinking about it. Because saved is not just a, a catchphrase of the believer, but saved is a truth that we live in. That I, I'm not saved by my works. I'm not saved of that stuff. But, I, but I'm saved because, because God loved me. Last point I want us to look at this morning, I think it's the first point on the screen, is that the change from above comes with clarity. What I see in the world today, I see a lot of people who are just confused, right? A lot of people are just confused. They don't know. I think that's one reason I wanted to go through John, because I think as a, as a society, even as a church, sometimes we're confused as to who we are. What, what do we need, I think, as a church, as we go forward? Because here's what I do believe. I believe God has put together us as a body of believers, don't you? I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful what the Lord is doing right now. Like, I, I, I feel like God is just, he's just put us together. Yesterday, Joni and I got to spend some time with some, some brothers and sisters from, uh, from our Purim church. Their kids were up here wrestling in Oklahoma City, you know, and I was like, oh, this would be a good time to go hang out with them. And one thing that Joni and I mentioned is that even though we, we're sad that you know, we're not around them because we were really close to these people, uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the guys is one of our deacons. He was also our, our fire chief. He, he, we, we literally walked through fire and hell together, you know. We saw death together. We've been on mission field together. We, we've, we've, we've seen kids come to the Lord. We've seen adults come to the Lord. We've, we've sat and had difficult conversations with couples together. Was, there's been through a whole lot of stuff. And, and even though like we're not together now, when we come back together, it was just like nothing had even changed. I know you might be saying, well, it's only been six months. But, you know, things could have changed, right? With us leaving, they could have kind of been offended by it. I, I'm not going to say it wasn't a little bit weird after we left. It was. You know, it was kind of like, People get, you know, kind of kind of like that about stuff. But what I see is that there's a clarity in our relationship, not just with each other, but with God. And even I heard it a couple times from them yesterday. They were just like, well, you know, we, we miss you guys, but we know God's working. This is God's will. That's a clarity. What the world doesn't have today is clarity. They're, they're looking through a, you know, a, a glass container of Coke trying to figure out everything. You know, it's like, it's like, it's brown and you can kind of see light, but that's it. But, but what Christ is offering us today is water that's clear and it always quenches the thirst. That's what Christ is offering us today. And so that change from above, not only does it call us, beckon us, encourage us to say goodbye to the old, not only does it encourage us, beckon us to worship him in spirit and truth, but here's the thing. It comes from above with clarity. And we see that even in his discussion with this woman. She's like, you know what? We're hearing that there's going to be a Messiah, a Christ who's going to come. And Jesus doesn't stop and say, well, yep, he's coming. But what does he say to her? I am he. I am he. Jesus didn't mince words here. He just said, hey, you know that guy you're talking about? That's me. I love that he did that. And it's interesting. He doesn't do it for everyone, right? Sometimes he tells people, don't go tell, don't go tell others. But I believe that 
that in this very personal discussion on truth, that Jesus was just very straightforward, and that change from above for that woman at the well, that change from above that came, Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to tell you a truth right now. It's the greatest truth you'll ever hear. I am the Messiah. I'll never forget the first time I really understood who Jesus was. I grew up as a, as a kid in church, in Sunday school, and, and I just always thought Jesus was cool because he had long hair and sandals, you know, kind of looked like Tom Petty or something in my head. I don't know. <laughs> or John Lennon. You know, I just always had this, this hippie ideology, you know, coming come to a kid who grew up in the 80s and so the 70s, you're kind of coming off the hippie stages. And, and then people went through a stage where they cut their hair or whatever, so long hair wasn't cool anymore or whatever. And, and so I get this picture of Jesus as just being like this really cool, like hip guy, and he's walking around, and he's loving people, and he's all of this. But as I began to know more about Jesus, I learned that not only was he a cool-looking guy, but here's the thing. I learned that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that, that, that call to, to get away from the old, that call to even at the age of nine to turn away from my sin and to turn to Christ, to believe and to live, even that moment in my life, I understood who Christ was. He was calling me not just to be a person who just shows up to worship because everybody else is doing it. I mean, I was virtually born in church. I, I, I was at church Sunday morning, Sunday nights. You remember when we used to have church on Sunday nights? At Wednesday nights, I was there all the time. I was at every youth retreat. I even went to my dad to like, you know, the meetings of like our denomination and stuff. I went to all that stuff. It wasn't enough to save me. I had, I had to get to a point that I was worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. And the cool thing that I can remember about all this is I've never, I've never reached a point where I just wasn't clear as to who Jesus was because he, he states it clearly who he is here. He is Messiah. Christianity is this love relationship between a child of God and his maker through the Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we have that, that whole idea of the Trinity right there in what Christ is doing in our lives. And Christ does not desire, does not want us to walk in a lack of knowledge, in a lack of clarity. Christ does not hide his desire from us today. Today he is calling out to the church. Today he's calling out to non-believers to come and to know him. Christ shouted it from the cross. Christ shouted it from the cross for you and I. That he loved us and that he wanted us to be saved. That he wanted us to have newness of life. He shouted it from the cross to be new. I can't, I can't just think about it. And I know we're coming up on Easter here pretty quick, you know? And, and it's, it's cool that we think about Christ on the cross at Easter, but that ought to be something we think about every day. Because if Christ didn't go to the cross, there's no hope for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And you and I today, if we know Christ, we need to walk in that newness. And even today, he calls... He calls us to walk in newness of life. I think if I was to, to implore you today, because I believe we have a lot of Christians here, people who support the ministry, people who have been saved for a long time, people who are, who are working within this church, if I could implore something to you today, and I want everybody just to look right here at me, and this is kind of weird for me, but everybody look at me. I want every eye right here, okay? Because I want you to get this. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to get this point. 
Christ is beckoning you to walk in newness of life. And what that means is that to this week, God, ought to, you ought to be hearing God. You ought to be seeking God in new ways. You know, it's time that as a church, because this happens in churches sometimes. Sometimes we, uh, we get clicky. Sometimes you and I, we, we, we say, well, I don't really get along with that person. So we just kind of, we kind of build walls and barriers and we just kind of stay over here. And it's, that's not the way the church is designed to be. Sometimes we say, well, that's not my job. I don't like kids. I don't like youth. I don't like older people. I don't like pastors or whatever. We get those like mentalities. And what Christ is calling us today is to be in newness of life, to walk in newness. That when you have a brother or sister around you, you grab arms with each other and you go to battle against the devil. That's what we're called to today. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual principalities. What the church needs to do today is to draw together and to walk in newness of life, to to take the old and just to put it behind us and say, adios, to walk in spirit and in truth. I'm excited about what God's doing in in our fellowship here. And we're just beginning, you know that? Like this is just the beginning. And I know we think, well, ministry, I've been doing it for my whole life. Sometimes change takes a while, doesn't it? So I encourage you, and I'm preaching this to encourage myself today, that as we're growing different areas, I look at some things. I mean, there's a stage full of people up here that come to lead you guys in worship. And I don't think they're up here just to look cool. They do look cool, by the way. Man, that solo, man, that was, that was awesome. I mean, that's great, but these are just people that just want to worship God too. They're also here early studying the word of God before they bring you into worship. I love that. That's so cool. As the church of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, what we are called to today is to walk in that newness of life, to walk in spirit and truth. If I was to ask you guys as believers, as members of this church, if I was to ask you to do one thing this week, I would pray that you would pray for revival. To pray that God would open hearts. That God would give us opportunities. There's a lot of barriers and bondages in our community. You guys agree with that? I see it all the time. But I believe our God's bigger. Our God is stronger. So we look to him today as the author, the finisher of our faith. Today, if you know Christ, that's great. Walk in newness of life. Be encouraged with this story of the Samaritan woman. If you don't know Christ today, I want you to understand that all of us are sinners. I don't stand up here proclaiming my goodness. I stand up here today proclaiming the goodness of God. If it wasn't for what he has done, I'd be lost. I'd be hopeless. I'd be a vagabond. Today, if you do not know Christ, listen to that voice that's speaking to you and calling you to repentance and to believe. Because in Christ, we can believe and live. The Bible teaches us that if we believe in our hearts, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. God is calling you to that today. It's time. Quit running from it and turn to the Lord of your salvation. Church, rise up and live a newness of life. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Thank you for your words. God, I, it blows my mind the, the, the accounts that, that we see in the Gospels. But there, there's a reason that, that you put this story of the Samaritan woman at the well. There's a reason that we have this encounter. And Lord, I believe it's for the church today. It's not just to show the loving 
loving person that Christ is. Not just to show his godhood, but the Lord, I believe in 2022, we are called to go to the wells around our community and to have conversations with people and to knock down barriers and to introduce people to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, would you send your church from here today with that mentality, that fire. God, we pray for revival in our town. We pray for revival in our church. God, we pray for revival in our hearts. God, would you forgive us for the sin that we have, the things that we hold to. May we cling to Christ alone. Because in Christ alone, our hope is found. Lord, call people to you, to repentance and truth. In your most holy name.